You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome, Chiefs Kingdom, to this week's edition of the Out of Structure Podcast on the Arrowhead Pride Podcast Network. I'm Matt Stagner, as always, joined by my friend Ron Cobb Jr. Ron, how are things? Things are good. It's it's the dead dead of the off season now between mini camp and training camp, so we should have no news from anything Chiefs related for the next two months. Right? Is that that's how it goes? Right? Nothing. Nothing new. No you news. Your Twitter notifications and and turn the TV off. There is nothing to see in the Chiefs media right now. Nothing going on. Uh, nothing to worry about. Of course. Well, Ron, as our name implies, each week we're trying something a little bit out of structure, a little different segment this week. Many of you have probably seen an internet meme. It's a picture of a guy sitting at a table on a college campus, and there's a sign out front that says some ridiculous statement, and then it says, convince me I'm wrong. And so we're going to do a convince me I'm wrong segment. We're going to throw out some of your takes, some of our takes, and we'll see if we can disprove them in three points or less. What do you think, Ron? Yeah, wow. I didn't realize that was where the inspiration for this these segments came from, the meme world. So shout out that meme because it is a good one. Um, but yeah, no, we're gonna go ahead and get into that because I have a statement that I wanna that I want you to convince me that I am wrong about. And it got inspiration from Doug at Raw Dog Brown on Twitter's question. He asked, What percentage of snaps do you predict Chris Jones to play on the edge? Given he said during his media time last week. He made it seem as if he'll be on the edge even more than what the general public anticipated prior to his media time. I agree with that. He does he does make it sound like that. But Matt, convince me I am wrong. Chris Jones will still be primarily a defensive tackle and will still be labeled and considered a defensive tackle. Convince me I am wrong. Well, this is the stance that I actually had early on in this offseason. All along, I've been saying I'm not buying this thing about Chris Jones being an edge. He's a defensive tackle. That's what he does best. He's not going to be an edge. Well, you would think that if he was going to be a defensive tackle, that at some point during the offseason program, he might line up there, right? It sure appears that he's lining up as a full-time defensive end. He's talking about being a full-time defensive end. And if you look at the way the roster is constructed, there's a need at defensive end way more than there is at defensive tackle. And the way I put together my 53-man roster prediction it works perfectly if Jones is an end and then you've got good depth at tackle. You've got good depth at the end positions, the edge position. If yeah. Jones is inside, you're really short on defensive ends or edge players. Well, especially with, with the news, we do got it. We do have to mention it, even though, you know, we want to make sure we, we give it its due process and see what happens. But, you know, uh, Monday came down, Frank Clark was arrested for, for illegal firearm possession in California Apparently his second arrest of the offseason in that capacity. Um, so that's obviously going to shake it up a little bit, at least. You know, uh, there's got to be some sort of you'd imagine some sort of suspension. We don't know. We don't want to speculate. We really don't. 
But that is thinning out a defensive end position that already was pretty thin. We were calling for them to bring in Melvin Ingram maybe, and that's something that they might you know, consider a little more depending on what happens with this. But that is where it, it is going to get thin at defensive end now. And that I, I think Jones, you know, now it, it's good that he's been practicing the end because he might have to play it a lot more, especially at the beginning of the season. Yeah, if whatever happens with Clark's situation affects his availability, then you've got an even bigger needed edge. Chris Jones can fill, help fill that need. He can't fill it entirely, but he can help. He also, if I'm going to get to my three points here, so yes, he's practiced there. He's talking about it, and there's a, there's a need there. There's also, if you look at the tendencies of Steve Spagnuolo and his defense, Jones really is a pretty good fit at defensive end. He's got the length. He's got the strength. He wins by bull rush more so than speed. These are all characteristics of a Spagnuolo defensive end. If you look at a Spagnuolo defensive tackle, these are usually massive, massive guys who are run stuffers first, bull rushers second. To have Jones in that three-tech position, he looks a little lean for what Spagnuolo usually likes. He's not as good interior against the run as Spagnuolo would usually like on the inside. Those characteristics play differently on the outside, and, and he might be a better fit on the outside in some ways than than on the inside when it comes to this specific defense and what they ask of their defensive linemen and edge players. So with that, I think we could, we've really established the fact that Chris Jones is a defensive end until further notice, until something else changes. I want to throw out one other potential beneficiary of that. We talked about the depth chart a little bit. If Jones is a defensive end and Clark is available, of course, They've got decent depth on the outside. On the inside, you've got Derek Noddy, Jerron Reed, and Turk Wharton. And normally they carry four defensive tackles. Really, this may open the door for Colin Saunders, who we've previously put on the bubble on this very podcast. Maybe he has a better chance at making the roster now with Jones on the outside because he was that backup three-tech. Jones, the starter at three-tech, never comes off the field or, or didn't come off the field very much. Colin Saunders' ability to make this roster and to be part of that three-tech rotation is certainly going to be improved if, if Chris Jones is sort of out of the way, at least officially. Yeah, exactly. And, and Saunders is also kind of a bigger guy. He's, he's a little thicker than what you have in Wharton, so maybe that influences them too. If Jones isn't going to be a big body in, inside to take up some holes, uh, they need somebody else because Wharton – is just not that kind of guy, and they and if you lose one of Naughty or Reed to injury, maybe all of a sudden you really don't have that huge dude that can plug up a, a gap uh, like Naughty or, or Reed can. Saunders is a little bit bigger of a dude, but he's also got some juice, and that's why you know, hey, a, a third third year in the system, you know, maybe that maybe it's his breakout year, maybe it's his time to be a, kind of a Turk Wharton uh, situation to the to de- the defense this year. But I will say to push back against you a little bit to to uh, argue my point. You know, Jones might be practicing defensive end right now because he's never had to practice defensive end before. He never has, I should say. Now he's kind of he kind of needs to. He already knows how to play defensive tackle. If he's going to play defensive end in any capacity, why not get all these reps in practice in the offseason? And then by the time the games come around, maybe, hey, he's defensive tackle now and and he's playing it more than defensive end because he didn't need to practice it all offseason. He knows how to do it. So. The flip side of that, though, is you've only got so many offseason reps. The programs have been limited by the CBA and the Players Union. They're, why waste reps on a position he's not really going to be playing? 
Yeah, that's a good point. No, that is a good point. I'll just say that, you know, Jones is, is probably the kind of player that they can trust to, you know, not practice or not have as many offseason reps at a position that he's been playing, you know, for the last two, three years, uh, that three-tech position for Spags. But, no, I, I'm with you, Matt. I'm with you. But I know you got a statement uh, convincing that you need me to convince you that I am wrong or that you are wrong. <laughs> well, now that you've fully admitted that that I won the first one and uh, and talked in circles about the second one, Ron, let's go right to this uh, question from – from Tobias Clemenson on, on Twitter, how many snaps will Noah Gray play at the start of the playoffs? So I'm going to say, you know, Noah Gray, based on everything we've heard in this offseason program, is going to be just a breakout, smashing success. He's going to be a huge contributor to this offense from day one. He's the tight end, two that we always wish we had and, and never have seen before. Noah Gray Massive contributor. Convince me I'm wrong. We really need to temper our expectations for Noah Gray. As a Chiefs kingdom right now, as a community, we all need to take a collective breath and understand that it is really hard to come into the NFL at the tight end position and contribute right away. You never really see rookie tight ends break out and become big contributors for their offense because I, I honestly do think it's one of the hardest positions to transition from college to the NFL in. Think about it. You have to block as much as an offensive lineman most of the time, especially in an Andy Reid system, if you're not a Travis Kelsey. You know, if you're a tight end, too, like a Blake Bell or Nick Kaiser, we saw them. They're blocking most of the time they're on the field. They rarely are running routes. Obviously, Gray doesn't fit that exact mold. But if he wants to be the second tight end on this roster, he's going to have to be able to block. Well, on the flip side of that, you're telling me that he's going to be a less of a contributor because he's not blocking as much? He didn't draft this guy as a blocker. He's a receiving threat. He's going to be the the H-back. He's going to be getting out in space. Who cares about blocking? He won't be the straight-up tight end, too, though. That's the thing. And, and we've seen it in, in Andy Reid's offense. He likes a traditional 12 personnel where he has two tight ends on the field and these run formations. And that tight end, too, is a blocker. Blake Bell was a blocker in 2019. Nick Kaiser was a blocker last year. And that's, that's who they're going to have at that tight end two position, at least starting out in those typical formations. There's going to be special formations for Gray, for sure. There's going to be special you know, situations where they want to use Gray's skill set. But just in general, when they are using two tight ends, I feel like Bell will be getting that, that role over him, at least at first. And then also it's just they, they have Burton to play the traditional fullback snaps, and that's the other part of this where Gray is, is, is thought of as, you know, hey, he can play fullback. They have guys that can play these traditional roles for them. I just don't see him penetrating those roles right now. And so he's more of just a specialty player. And that's not a guy that's going to have a huge contributing role, just maybe a few big catches here or there, but nothing where we're having a big yardage total at the end of the year. Yeah, but the the Chiefs haven't had a great number two tight end since Demetrius Harris. Why, Why can't Noah Gray step in and pick up the production that Harris used to have? Well, that's the other thing, though, is, is Harris was a bigger dude, and, and he was a, a big guy, and he played in the NFL. It took him a few years until he was a contributor. He was on the Chiefs in 2014, 2015. You probably don't remember too much of him in those years. It was, it was 2016, 17, 18 is when he really started becoming a player, and so that just proves my point a little more at that, at that rate. I think Gray is going to be a great contributor in the long run. I just think this year it's, the kingdom is starting to get a little excited about what he can do this year. I just want to temper our expectations a little bit. He may be a guy that we only see 
you know, for a few snaps here or there, makes a big play once every two or three games, not someone that's a, a consistent contributor every game. Well, for those of you that haven't guessed, I was being a little bit uh, facetious, playing a little devil's advocate there, because if you look at Demetrius Harris's stats, his best season was 224 yards receiving, and his biggest touchdown total was three touchdowns in a year. So we can talk about Noah Gray breaking out and having a great year and being the second most productive tight end. Maybe he's not the number two tight end, but he's the second most productive tight end on the roster. And that may still only mean 200 yards and three touchdowns in a season, which is not the breakout performance that so many people are predicting. Yeah, and I and I would agree that he's he's probably going to be the second most productive tight end in terms of yardage, but that doesn't say much when you're talking about a Blake Bell who I would imagine is beating out Nick Kaiser for that third tight end spot. Um, and but I like I said, I do think Bell will be have more snaps taken at the tight end position than Gray will this year. So yeah, I, I agree with that point. That'll be the second most productive, but he's still not going to have a huge huge impact this year, in my opinion. There's this guy on the defense that's just criminally underrated that makes plays does everything that the defense needs steps in in big situations he he's the dime linebacker he gets the mic reps when when he's needed ben neiman is a hugely important part of this defense and an absolute stone cold lock to make the roster ron convince me that i'm wrong you're you have a great point that's the thing this isn't you know that's not much of a hot take i do think there's reason to believe Neiman should make this roster, but I want to argue against it because I really think my main point with, with all this, I, I have, you know, I have the specific positions that he could be playing that are filled by other players. The main thing with Neiman is just let these second round picks. You just used the past two years, throw them into the fire. If they aren't ready necessarily, if they're not all the way there mentally, if they're not the cleanest on every single play, getting exactly where they need to be, at least they're doing it full speed. At least they're more athletic than Neiman. And at least they're guys that will benefit from that experience in the long term and will help the defense in the long term. Neiman is not a long-term option at all. He, he should not be on the team after 2021 for sure. I'm arguing he shouldn't even make it to 2021. And so I will break down the positions here. Dime linebackers should be played by Willie Gay. We've talked about it, I think, last podcast. We did mention this a little bit. And so if Willie Gay is playing that role, I also think Dorian O'Daniel has – reason to be a, a, a viable backup in that role where Neiman doesn't have to be. And, and I get they put Neiman in there maybe just because he's more comfortable in the system than O'Daniel. But as a backup, O'Daniel's got the athleticism. Let him let him be in there. It's his last year on the team. Like just he has the athleticism. That's what you need at your dime backer. All right. Mike linebacker. He's the back. He's always been the backup to Hitchens or has been the past few years. They drafted Nick Bolton. He was a Mike from Missouri in an SEC defense the last two seasons. And then you also got to think about Darius Harris, who did wear the green dot last year in the week 16 win over the Falcons. I just think they have options at depth and he shouldn't be starting at all, any of the three or four linebacker positions. So that's why I say he shouldn't be on the team. There's no real reason to keep him around. He's just, he will just stop younger players from contributing that will help their experience in the future. So you're telling me, did you expect more out of Darius Harris and Dorian O'Daniel than Ben Neiman this year? I, it's not that it's not ex expectations. It's me saying, I just, why not play them? Why not have them playing 
and then not have Neiman on the field. I mean, I don't know. I just, what is the huge, I don't see what is the huge deal with Neiman playing over those guys. Like if they make mistakes, I, Neiman has made plenty of mistakes too. So it's like, I don't, I don't get how, I don't, I really don't understand why the chiefs coaching staff has been so in love with them. Maybe they just kind of were forced into a situation and he was a D and he was a linebacker that knew the most out of the guys left. You'd hope another off season, maybe hopefully under spags, these other linebackers I've mentioned can pick it up a little more and replace what Neiman has, has given the team the past few years. I would love to see it, but I will believe it when I do see it. I do think the coaching staff's pretty high on Neiman still, and they like him at plug and play wherever they need him. But hey, if Dorino Daniel takes that step and becomes the dime linebacker, and then, uh, or Willie Gay takes that role in addition to being the, the uh, will linebacker in the base defense, then that's nothing but a positive for this team, short term and long term. You're getting more athletic, you're getting younger, you're getting faster, you're getting you know, development for the, for the long term. Uh, so yeah, I'll take it. If you're right, I'm not sure the chief's coaching staff will. Yeah. And, and that's, and that is the thing we've seen pictures, you know, release the mini camp and stuff. He has been starting in three linebacker sets. It looks like, so that, that tells you right there. And you know, that that's veterans getting a start in OTAs and mini camp. You know, we, we know Andrew Reed's tough on the rookies a little bit, getting them playing time at first. So I'm not saying it's an expectation. It's definitely more of a hot take. I just – I'd like to see the Chiefs' defense without Neiman on the field. The other linebackers get more chance. Yeah, so, all right. Well, in that case, we're going to move on to your Twitter questions. And so, well, one hot take we have from Twitter from Nathan Sabelka, he has a good hot take because I think it's a reasonable one, but it's still a hot take, still a scoring record, season-long scoring record. He has the Chiefs scoring more than 606 points in the regular season to break the all-time scoring record. And with this expanded regular season, as we both know now, I'm still getting used to it, as we both know, uh, that's 17 games now. So over 17 games, that'd be 35.6 points per game. I believe they could do that because they actually did do it in 2018. What do you think about that, Matt? So I'm, I'm supposed to convince you that you're wrong by saying the Chiefs score more than 606 points this season. So it's a tough question because you're right. With the expanded 17-game season, all of these records are just going to be dropping like flies. This is one that you would think would be pretty ripe to fall because, like you said, it's 35.6 game points per game on a 17-game season. That is similar to the 2018 Chiefs offense, which was historically great, although I think that 2018 offense was 35 point something too, you know, less yeah, than it was a little lower. You're right. It was a little lower. <laughs> All right. So point number one, they would have to be better than the best offense we've arguably ever seen in a chief's uniform. The 2018 version, the 2018 offense featured Sammy Watkins in a featured role. It featured Kareem hunt as a pass receiver that was lighting up the league as a rookie of the year and leading the league in rushing. I mean, that was a very well balanced and a massively productive offensive team with a terrible defense and they had lots of opportunities to rack up uh, points and, and they needed to do so in order to win games. This is also a team that did not rest their starters in the final week of the season. So if you put all that together and you look at 2021, the Chiefs have a better offensive line than they probably did then overall, or at least as good with more upside. You've got 
good offensive skill players still. You've got Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, who could be what Hunt was that year. You've got other guys who can take on Sammy Watkins' role. So they could get there. But it would require them to not only average more than 35.6 per game for 17 games, but it probably would require them to to play all 17 games with starters. And I'm not sure this team's going to do it. They're going to be good enough. They're going to be better than they were last year when it was a no-brainer to rest their starters in the final week. I can't imagine them going through this season thinking they have to play that 17th game in order to, to, get, to get their spot in the playoffs. Yeah, I think you're, the best point you made was the defense, right? I mean, that was why the Chiefs' <laughs> offense had to score so many. We saw the Monday night game against the Rams scoring 51 and losing. That's probably not going to happen this year. I can't imagine Spagnuolo giving up 50-plus points or 40-plus points. I know the Super Bowl didn't look great, um, but that I think that is the main point. I think my main argument would be just the Chiefs going scorched earth. Mahomes going scorched earth, getting mad about the Super Bowl. They haven't increased you, – you mentioned the increased offensive line now. I think all that combined, maybe they just go haywire. They just go bananas over. Andy Reid's just calling all the best plays, and they just go for – you know, they go for the record. Maybe, you know, maybe that's that's not some in Andy that that he, you know, tends to do. He's not a record chaser or anything. But maybe, you know, he recognizes that it's something that could boost the confidence of the players and, and get them hungry. Like, hey, let's 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 go for 20. You know, we talk we hear about 20. You know, well, let's go for the scoring record. Let's go for for these kind of things um, and, and get them kind of engaged throughout the season instead of I'm sure when you're this successful of a team, I'm sure it's kind of hard to stay engaged every week of the season when you know you're going to be in the playoffs at the end of the year, um, you know, no matter how, how you know, successful you are necessarily that game, you know, you're probably going to pull it out and be in the playoffs at the end of the year. So, yeah, I, I that would be my main main argument is that I think they just go crazy this year, scorched earth, and just try to score all the points they can. I mean, you'd hate to see that, right? I mean, <laughs> that would be, <laughs> that would be a, a phenomenally fun season to watch them go scorch earth for 17 full games beginning to end to say, we're not letting off the gas no matter what, you know, blowing teams out that are that they're far superior to taking other teams, you know, to the woodshed, even if they, even if they're evenly matched. Great. I would love to see it. I'll believe it when I see it because Andy Reid notoriously takes his foot off the gas or appears to, and they're going to be gearing up for that playoff run. They saw last year what happens if you're not healthy in the playoffs. And so I think they're going to really be protective of their players and making sure they're not putting too much wear and tear on them and putting them in situations where they could get hurt in a situation that doesn't really help them. So I think just the rest alone is probably reason enough to say they won't break this record, even though they're going to be a lot of fun to watch on offense. Well, speaking of a lot of fun, let's take a break right there. Let's pay a couple bills. We'll come right back with more of your Twitter questions, the Out of Structure podcast on the Arrowhead Pride Podcast Network. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. 
Learn more at marines.com. Welcome back to the Auto Structure Podcast. Thanks for sticking with us. We're going to get to more of your Twitter questions right now because you got you had some good ones. So I'm going to start with Chiefs Mash Forever and also Bananas over KC Chiefs. Both of you ask good questions about undrafted free agents. Who are the best ones with a shot to make the team? Have we heard any news out of these mini camps on the role of any of these UDFAs and anybody who's really standing out? And thank you, by the way, for the questions and for the compliment. Chiefs Mash Forever mentioned that he was loving the mailbag, couldn't wait for the season. Certainly appreciate that. Thank you to everybody who listens and asks questions. You don't have to give us compliments to get thanks, but we do appreciate it when you do. Yeah, no, I thought that was really cool. And I've seen a few other Twitter people, you know, complimenting us. So shout out you guys. Uh, you know, we are we are still learning and growing as, as we get into this podcast. Still only a month old, I want to say, right? You know, a little more than a month old. But uh, going on to the undrafted free agents, I like the question. And it is a timely question because we, we started to hear a lot of murmurs about safety Devin Key or Devon Key from Western Kentucky. Uh, Nate Taylor of The Athletic has has written up about Key competing with Will Parks for that fourth or fifth safety spot. We haven't seen Armani Watts at, at minicamp yet, so we really don't know if Watts is just automatically over them or if Watts is in that mix as well. But obviously, Key is battling for some sort of role more than other undrafted free agents are because we haven't heard about money, many of the other ones. So I'd say Key's the guy we got to look out for this year. Banana over KC Chiefs asked about DiCaprio Boodle specifically. I liked what I saw from him. I actually did a film review on him at arrowheadpride.com. Go check it out. I think he does fit what the Chiefs want at cornerback. I think he actually reminds me a little bit of Mike Hughes. He's a smaller guy but has a lot of physicality. Uh, whether that's good or bad that he reminds of, of, of reminds me of Mike Hughes is another story. But he does kind of fit with the Chiefs one at outside cornerback, that physicality, being able to make tackles in the flat. So he, he does he does have a chance, but the cornerback group is a little loaded on on the fringes of the roster with some of these guys, like we said, Hughes, Baker, and even a Bo Pete Keys. Yeah, I'm not sure to to get to the other part of the question that there's a Turk Wharton on this roster, that there's somebody in the undrafted free agent ranks this year that's going to immediately make the team, immediately be a contributor to be the guy that in every offseason practice somebody's raving about. I'm not sure they have that in this crop unless you've seen one that I haven't. Well, no, I was just going to say, like, what? let's break it down. What position could even have a guy come in and really contribute like Turk Wharton did last year that we have an undrafted free agent at? I mean, corner corner and safety are, are have a couple of them. Riley Cole is a linebacker, but we, we've kind of talked about these young linebackers need more reps. There shouldn't be room for an undrafted free agent to take some of them. Yeah, so I'd say it's almost nearly impossible that there's an undrafted free agent that comes in and makes that kind of impact like Turk Wharton did last year. I know these guys aren't undrafted free agents, but you could say maybe wide receiver is a spot where a long shot could make the roster and contribute. So, yeah, I'm cheating a little bit, but, you know, Callaway, Fountain, Shepard, you've got a couple of candidates there that are not this year's UDFAs, but they're, you know, long shots to make the roster. They were street free agents or free agents that didn't come with a lot of fanfare. In, in the case of Shepard, I think won a tryout spot, and that's what led to Martinez Rankin being released recently. So maybe wide receiver has a, a spot for a long shot, whether it's UDFA or otherwise. But otherwise, yeah, maybe in the secondary. But it's going to be tough. And this may be just one of those years where they don't have big contributions from the UDFA team. And we may have to wait until St. Joe to find out. <laughs> 
Yep, exactly. It's it's coming, right? We're almost there. We're we're just a month or so out. But let's move on to the next question we got from our friend Chiefly Bacon. Chiefly Bacon's always bringing some good questions to the table. And this is a thinker. Let's let's think through this one a little bit, a little roster construction. Which players are most likely to start the season on the physically unable to perform list, otherwise known as the PUP? And then he also asked which players are most likely to benefit from those short-term roster spots. Matt, what are you thinking about the PUP? That's always kind of a difficult thing to determine at this point. Yeah, and the PUP rules, the physically unable to perform list rules, can be confusing. My understanding of it is that once a player has practiced in training camp, they are no longer eligible for PUP. So if a player shows up at camp, passes the physical, gets on the field, then gets hurt, PUP is not going to be an option anymore. So the list of players that could start the season on PUP are those players that have an off-season injury and they're not ready to go yet by training camp, or they are players who maybe got hurt now in the you know, mandatory or voluntary portions of the off-season program and are not going to be ready when camp starts. So I've got three potential candidates really uh, each in his own category. So you've got DeAndre Baker, who's recovering from the broken leg injury he had last year. I feel like he's potentially a big contributor to this team and that the Chiefs really like him, but he's yet to practice in the offseason program. We hope that he's ready for camp, but if he's not, the PUP could be a place where he would start. Now, that would be a particularly bad situation for this team if they're counting on him, because it's a very thin position. So who would benefit from that? Well, none of us would benefit because you're going to watch a really depleted cornerback group. But of all of the other players on the roster who might be competing for snaps with Baker, I would say Mike Hughes might be the guy who would get more run if Baker were to be on the PUP list to start the regular season. Yeah, and I'll, I'll go ahead and throw out Bo Pete Keys as well as someone that could benefit because I actually have him outside of the 53-man roster. My current projection, I have them keeping five cornerbacks and Baker and Hughes are kind of fighting for that fourth and fifth spot or are that fourth and fifth spot, you know, fighting for which one is, is has the upper hand. But Keys is on the outside. I have him as a practice squad member. Hopefully, you know, he might get scooped up. But that's someone else I think that would, that would definitely uh, benefit from – from Hughes, or I should, I should say Baker, sorry, from uh, him being on the PUP. Yeah, good call. I don't, I'm not sure we know yet what we have in Keys, but it'd be interesting to see where he lands on the roster this year, if he lands on the roster this year, and if removing some of that competition were to help. Uh, other guys who could be PUP candidates, the recently injured Kyle Long, who was trying to make his comeback after some time away from football, and unfortunately had another leg injury take him out. Kyle Long could be a candidate for the PUP list. I think a lot of the media have already projected that to be the case to say that he's probably going to be ready right around the time the season starts. So if he's not quite there yet, maybe they put him on PUP and let him recover and be sort of a mid to late season addition to the offensive line. Well, to me, if that's the case, the number one beneficiary there is the Canadian doctor who's also coming back from some time away. In my offseason projection, I had at least optimistically hope that Kyle Long was the starter at right guard and that LDT, um, you know, would be on the bubble. Now with Long injured and the only other – and there's other competition, but the 
biggest name in the competition would be Trey Smith, the rookie at six round pick. LDT would probably benefit from Long being removed from the equation and he could have a better shot at retaining that starting job. Yeah, and we got to throw out another name because if they are in the PUP, they don't count against the active roster. They they do not. So there is another spot opened up, and that's Andrew Wiley. I, I have him outside of the roster projection right now, not making the team. I have Allegretti kind of sneaking in at that last 10th spot on the offense. But I do think Wiley would then get the benefit of the doubt and be a versatile depth piece all of a sudden again for this team, although he was starting, obviously, in the past. Um, so, yeah, I, I think Andrew Wiley – could make the team when Kyle Long is on the PUP. We got to also note, I, I don't know if you mentioned it, honestly. I apologize if you did. But Kyle Long, if you are in the PUP, you have to be inactive or off the roster for up to six weeks or at least six weeks, correct? And then after that is when you can come on the team. So. Start practicing, yeah. So you're, you're, it's really about half a season that you're going to lose a player. Yeah, and that's that's a big chunk of the season, and you know it, it gives him time to recover, but it also you know gives that right guard position time to set in stone, and then maybe we don't even see long this season, which you know in the starting lineup he may be a depth piece down the road. But yeah, you, or you could see him not on the roster. I mean, I I think we all like the talent of Long, but he's with his injury history. If he's got a, a nagging injury here, something that takes him a chunk of the season to recover from. And as you said, they're able to solidify the position without him. Then maybe there's an injury settlement and he moves on and they part ways. So again, all pure speculation. These are all complete hypotheticals. I would love to see Kyle Long healthy for day one and even be the starter. But if he's not, don't be surprised if if his roster spot ends up being in question entirely. That's a good point. That's a really good point on the why. Why would he even be on the roster? You have six weeks to figure it out. You might want to just keep the guys that you've been practicing with for those six weeks and kind of getting used to. And you don't have any loyalty to Kyle Long. There's no guarantees, really. I mean, like you said, there's an injury settlement. And that's pretty easy to take care of at his salary. So that is interesting. I, I like your points on that. I really. Yeah, if you're do. a one-year contract and you're going to miss half of that year due to injury, you know, exactly. you really have to figure out what the value there is. So one final potential PUP candidate, and this is probably the most likely of the three, Malik Herring is a pass rusher that came in recovering from a pretty significant injury, and he's got some talent, and I think he was pretty highly rated by a lot of people. He's a very obvious, you know, IR candidate, redshirt candidate, uh, PUP, whatever whatever designation he ends up with. I could see him being somebody that they decide they want him to stick around for the long term, but he's just not going to be ready anytime soon. And we've seen it with Tim Ward, right? That was only a few years ago where Tim Ward had a very similar situation. Although Malik Herring's injury happened at the Senior Bowl, Tim Ward's happened in the season, you know, his final collegiate season. So it might take him a little bit further or longer, I should say, to get back. And he did tear his ACL at the Senior Bowl, which is always bad. But he, like, he, like you mentioned, he was a draftable player. He might have, he probably would have got drafted if he didn't get injured. So that's always someone you want to kind of keep your eye on. So who would benefit if he's not on the roster? I think maybe I'm going to point again at Colin Saunders to say this is somebody who from that front seven was questionable to make the roster. But if Herring is on PUP, um, not that Herring was necessarily taking his roster spot, but as long as you're taking out a pass rusher or a defensive lineman, if you know Clark is not available for some portion of the season, maybe there's more room for Saunders. But I can't think of any other real beneficiaries of Herring being a non-PUP. Can you? 
Yeah, well, that's the thing. You know, he, if he is healthy, he may not make the he may not be a guy that they might have had. They might already have all their guys and say, you know what, you just didn't make the team. Sorry. Um, but just because he is injured, they're going to be able to take advantage of that PUP thing and not waste a roster spot with with him being on the team. So I think it's one of those situations where he wasn't preventing anybody from making the team or, you know, now there's not like a new roster spot all of a sudden open. He's just kind of getting that redshirt year that you get additionally. But I will say about Colin Saunders, or I should say Herring, Herring can play both inside and outside. He's a bigger dude. He may not be able to hold up as well as some of these other guys on the interior right away. Um, but that might be where if he was healthy, maybe they do value his versatility over a guy like Colin Saunders, who is really just a defensive tackle. He's athletic, but he's going to be on the interior. He's not playing on the edge. He played some linebacker off ball. We, we saw that. That was fun. Yeah, All right. was fun. <laughs> Let's go to Jake Wilson's question at Jake for now. If KC's defense plays well, would we expect Spagnolo to join the list uh, along with the enemy as likely head, ca- head coaching candidates? Would we expect to lose Madison House and or Daly? Really, is this the last season before the band breaks up for the Chiefs' defensive staff? I think this is one of the more underrated things that no one's really talking about is how many opportunities this defensive staff has in the future to to split up, basically. Spagnolo said last year, towards the end of the year, he wanted to be a head coach. I have the quote right here. I would love to do do that, be a head coach again. I will preface by saying I've got a really good job right now, and I want to just hang on to that one I got. I know how the league is, but that burning desire is still there. He said that on a radio interview last last season. And so I think that is something where if there's another year, what like he's had the past two years where he's really – it seems like people kind of acknowledge that he has really raised the level of this defense with the talent they've had. He's been the reason they've been effective in certain situations. I think it's absolutely the possibility he'll be a head coach in 2022. And that also leaves Brandon Daly, who I really think will be a DC sooner than later. I'm surprised, honestly, there hasn't been more talk about him being a defensive coordinator or being interviewed for some. He was supposedly the top candidate to replace Matt Patricia when he left in New England and went to the Detroit job, but New England chose to do Brian Flores as the defensive play caller over him. And so that's actually why I believe that's part of the reason he left New England and for the same job here. He, he didn't upgrade jobs when he came here. It's the same exact position. And so if Spags does become a head coach in 2022, I want to be the first in line to have Daly as my defensive coordinator. I think he's a future star at that position in the league. What do you think? No, I don't have a lot to add there. I think there's a lot of talent. They've had some remarkable consistency with this coaching staff. And something's going to give at some point. So we'll have to wait and see how that plays out. Yeah, absolutely. So the next question here is from our guy, Zach, the layman Stan, the layman's terms on Twitter. And this is an interesting question because I don't, I don't know what, I don't know how many answers there are to this question, which 2018 rookies should be getting contract extensions. And so the 2018 rookies are going to be free agent after this year. Uh, it's been four years. And so there's a, there's only three left on the team. It's Derek Naughty, Dorian O'Daniel, and Armani Watts. Matt, what do you think? Should they be? Should we be looking at extending them before the season starts? I mean, at this point, it's obviously just Derek Naughty, the star of that draft class. You know, I, I think they could replace him. They've got some other talent at defensive tackle, but he's been really, really good in his role. He's done nothing but be available and be stout and do what he's supposed to do. You'd love to see a reasonable contract to keep him around. The other two guys, 
frankly, are on the bubble this year. They'll be on the bubble next year if they make the roster this year. And so they have a lot more to prove before getting a deal at all. But Naughty would be the obvious answer. Yeah, and the thing with Naughty is he is an effective enough defensive tackle where I think if he hit the open market, he would have some competition. You know, he would be getting getting some contract uh, offers. And so for him individually, I'd love to see him do that. I just don't think the Chiefs would want to compete in that market. They should. They don't really have the money to really be offering him more than, you know, a, a reasonable team-friendly deal. And so that's where if he is willing to do that, it'd be a great extension to get done, lock him in. you got your run-stuffing one tech for the next few years. But, yeah, like you said, he's the only one, and I really don't think – I don't see it happening. I think they're going to they're gonna see what happens with Reed and Naughty this year, and and if, if Reed really stands out and is really a, a, a great piece, I think they're going to just try to keep him on board. You'd love to keep that whole group together. I think they've got potential for, for the long term there. Next question from Jay, Hawks and Chiefs. He's asking Arrowhead Pride, will you be able to fill 100% capacity for the, all the home games this year? I say that a little bit in jest. I'm sure he's asking, will the Chiefs be able to fill that? Will Arrowhead Pride be able to fill it directly? Possibly. Got a great group of Arrowhead Pride listeners and readers and community. You know, we could maybe fill Arrowhead Stadium. But I think the real question is, will the Chiefs be at 100% capacity due to COVID? And will will people show up? We have 77,000 listeners listening right now, right? That's, 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 we got to have that many numbers, of course. Yeah, give or take. Absolutely. (laughs) Give or take. We're, we're rounding up maybe a little bit. Um, Yeah, no, I'm excited though. I am excited to get back into a full crowd. I went to plenty of games last year and I will say it was just not the same. I'm, I really missed the crowd. And so I'm excited. Week one, Cleveland, I'll probably be there. So let's do it. But I'll, we, we can move on to the next question here from Chase B. Shout out Chase B. I know him. Appreciate the question. More potential to have a breakout season. Clyde or Byron Pringle? I think I know where you're coming out on this, but it is an interesting question because you kind of have to define what breakout exactly means. What do you think here? All right, so you're, you're going to put a more de- a different definition on it here. Obviously, I'm on the Clyde Edwards-Alaire train this season. He's going to be a monster. He was good last year. He's going to be good this year. He's going to be better this year with the focus on his receiving game, expanding his role in the offense. We've covered all of that. The Chiefs have covered all of that. He's my breakout player on the offense, period, not just compared to Byron Pringle. Yeah. Now, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say it is kind of funny because breakout could mean, you know, hey, if Clyde doesn't have as much better of a season as last year, it's still a good season. But then let's say Byron gets all the way to 400 plus yards and three or four or five touchdowns. Is that more of a breakout than Clyde? That's where I I was kind of thinking with this. I still say it's Clyde. I I think it's obvious that it's Clyde. I just wrote on airheadpride.com, you'll see that I just wrote about him in the passing game. It dropped on Tuesday, so go check that out. But I think he's going to have a big season. Yeah, if you're talking about as a percentage of previous production, the percentage gain for somebody like Pringle, who's averaging 160 yards a season, you know, he could easily double his production. Clyde doubling his production would be insane. (laughs) So, so yeah, I, I think if we're talking about percentage growth, sure. I could see Pringle getting to 300 yards easier than I could see Clyde getting to 2,000 or 3,000 or whatever it would be if he doubled his production from last year. But, yeah, I, I think Pringle's got a lot more competition, 
And there's so many good receiving targets ahead of him. And frankly, he's had, he's had some opportunities. Let's be honest. We've said in the past that he's a guy that just needs more targets or just needs to be on the field more. But when he's stepped in and been on the field for the entire game, this production still wasn't there. For whatever reason, you know, there, there's a reason that they were in the market for a receiver this year, and it wasn't just because of Sammy. Well, and they brought back D-Rob, too, and they've had chances to move on from him and say, hey, Pringle is the guy that can fill that role for us moving forward, and they do not feel comfortable doing that. So that, that goes to your point as well. Yeah, I mean, really, and this was a, a piece that I argued recently again on, on – or, or I am arguing actually currently on arrowheadpride.com about the receiver position. If you look at the production and the snap counts and everything else, it was Robinson and Hardman were the next two guys up after Hill and Kelsey. So is Pringle all of a sudden going to unseat one of those two guys or are those two guys likely to take on bigger roles and then Pringle's going to be competing with Cornell Powell and the other options at, at wide receiver and be even further buried on the depth chart? I guess we'll find out once they start lacing them up. From Sketchy 7, with Madden teasing the new game with two goats hinting at Mahomes being one of them, what does he have to do in his career to truly achieve this title? Now, I know a lot of people were disappointed with the Madden cover, saying that the picture wasn't great or, you know, the, what's the point of featuring Brady and Mahomes? But I think this gets to the question is, can we call Mahomes a goat already? And can we put him up next to Brady? Or what does he have to do to get that title? It's, it's simple. It really is. Mahomes has to. He absolutely has to win at least as many Super Bowls as Brady does, if not more. And the only reason is because they went head-to-head in their careers. It's different than Jordan versus LeBron. They never obviously crossed paths. And you can kind of, you know, you can never really truly debate, you know, one-on-one. Unfortunately for Mahomes, he's lost his two playoff games against Brady and both times has led to Brady winning a Super Bowl. So Mahomes losing has led to two more rings for Brady. That get that is always going to in in the national attention. Hey, trust me. As a Chiefs homer, eventually I will be saying Mahomes is the GOAT. But it, it, in a national setting, I just don't see how anyone will ever give Mahomes that title over Brady if he doesn't get to 7 rings or 8 and or just go, you know, he has to win at least that many in my opinion. I don't know. I- the most rings doesn't always mean the best player, right? Terry Bradshaw has what five rings, and he's uh, you know, he's not ever mentioned amongst the top two or three ever, right? Well, he, he was a great player in his day, but yeah. Roethlisberger has a bunch of rings. You know, Eli Manning has rings. I mean, there's it doesn't rings aren't the only measure of the greatest quarterback of all time any more than quarterback wins or a quarterback stat. I say. Mahomes could get there with less Super Bowl titles than than Brady, but he's got to win. He's got to win enough that he's not. He didn't just do it once. Yeah, exactly. Never exactly. Been the greatest of all time if you won one. Let's say three, four. I think I think you can call him the greatest because of the way he plays the game, how how unique he is, and he's going to put up ridiculous numbers when he gets to that point in his career. I've seen a bunch of lists saying the all-time greatest quarterbacks in terms of several different stats that Mahomes doesn't yet qualify for because he doesn't have enough years uh, playing the game. 
that he's going to blow all of those career stats out of the water. So if he is the number one passer in league history by so many different measures, multiple time MVP, and he's got three or more Super Bowl rings, he's the greatest of all time. No, I get that. I definitely get that because you're right. The stats are really going to pile up for him. It, it is going to get to a point where it's just honestly insane how this, how he's racking up these stats because there's he's not slowing down anytime soon, and he's already off to such a good start. I just see I just see people always holding that that one on one thing Brady versus Mahomes against him, especially if it, it'd be one thing if Mahomes went toe to toe with him in the Super Bowl. People are really going to remember, and it's not Mahomes' fault. No one's saying that, but people are going to remember just only putting up nine points against Brady and just, you know, running for his head, you know, running with his head cut off and not, not getting it done. Although, like I said, it was not his fault. No one should be blaming him, but it, it, it will be held against him. Yeah. If the last image you have in your head on Mahomes' Hall of Fame resume is the ball bouncing off of the face mask of a receiver and, and him throwing it horizontally. I mean, if that's the enduring image, it's going to be a career like Dan Marino where you say, man, if only if only he had a better team, if only he won some more titles, he'd be the greatest. So I, I don't expect that to be the case. I think Mahomes is going to take off from here. But he's got a little bit of work to do on the resume. Luckily, he's locked in in Kansas City for the foreseeable future, and uh, we get to enjoy it. Yes, we do. We got a, f- a lot more years to come. I, I, we're not slowing down anytime soon with Mahomes at the quarterback position. So next Twitter question from KL Hill two on Twitter, who will be starting at right guard and right tackle on the offensive line. That is something, you know, it's a hot topic in Kansas city. Obviously we really don't know, Matt, what are you thinking on those two positions? Yeah. Our, our line of thinking may be evolving a little bit here. We already talked a little bit about Kyle Long's injury the fact that LDT could be a beneficiary of that. It sure looks like he's going to get every chance to win that job. So I would expect Laurent Duvede-Tardif to be your starting right guard day one, and then the competition behind him can play out in the future. Trey Smith is going to be a great talent. He's going to be a great right guard. He's just probably not going to be allowed to start from day one. We'll just see from there. Now, there's a lot of other competition at that position at right guard. And there's some we've heard about and some we haven't heard so much about. I know, Ron, you mentioned Andrew Wiley and Nick Allegretti. There's another guy who's been really invisible this offseason so far, and it's just worth keeping an eye on. Uh, Austin Blythe was brought in as a starter in this league at multiple positions, including guard. And I haven't heard or seen anything about him so far this year. Have you? Well, it's funny you say you haven't seen anything because apparently beat reporters did not see him and team drills during mandatory minicamp, according to a Sam McDowell tweet from last week. So we don't know if there's an injury. I, I assume we would have known if there is an injury. So I don't know what that says, but obviously he's not in the picture too much. And I, I, I don't see I, I come I keep coming back to this because I've said it over and over when Veach was doing his pre-draft press conference and he was talking about all the signings. He, he used the word depth. He really emphasized the word depth right after he started going on about why they signed Blythe. So I really do think that all along they, they saw him as a, as a solid veteran depth piece that they didn't need to start and don't really want to start. But if they have to, they're fine. And it's probably a better option than what they've had in the past. So our assumption now, and I think we agree that LDT will be given every chance at right guard. He'll have competition, but 
we'll go with him as our prediction at right guard. At right tackle, there's some more intrigue there. Leighton Youngblood points out uh, and asks a question, really, is Niang going to win that right tackle job at some point in the season? What he's alluding to here, which you can read between the lines, is I think it's become a foregone conclusion that Mike Remmers is at least going to start off with that right tackle job, right? Yeah, I think so. I don't expect Niang to win the right tackle job at week for week one. I imagine he does get playing time some like during the season at points, just because you don't want to have this guy go two and a half years without playing football. You want him to get in the game and, and get kind of back into it. So even if he doesn't win the right tackle job, I, I guarantee you he will be playing in some capacity. Maybe if it's a blowout one way or the other, maybe they throw him in there, give Remmer some rest. But I honestly wouldn't be surprised if Remmers just starts the whole season and we really never see uh, a start, you know, uh, a, a snap one, snap whatever in the game of Niang playing right tackle. If Remmers stays healthy, I could see him just owning that position. You know, I would be a little surprised with that. I do think they're higher on Niang than, than that. I think Remmers is given the veteran consideration and going to be the, the day one starter. But I do think there's a chance that Niang eventually takes that job from him, whether it's out of injury, necessity, uh, or ability. Another factor in this decision, frankly, at right tackle, we were looking at the depth chart and wondering, who's your backup tackle? Who's your swing tackle? Who's going to play left or right tackle in, in case of need? We had tentatively penciled in, or at least I had, Martinez Rankin as a potential swing tackle candidate. Yeah. Certainly not somebody who's going to start, but – he was released this week, and again, they signed a wide receiver in his place, really giving a little bit more clarity to the to the depth there at tackle. But does that mean to you that Niang or Remmers is now the swing tackle and the other is now the starter? Do you think that that weighs or tips the scales in either direction? No, that that is an important point because you'd think if if they weren't confident in what they have at swing tackle, that that third tackle where that can play left or right, then they would keep ranking because he is a guy that can play guard too. And so you kind of have the best of both worlds in that situation. You you can have a guy that's a swing tackle and a guard. Wasn't valuable enough for them, and it makes me think, yeah, they're, they're confident in Niang being able to play right away, whether or not he is starting. Uh, but they are they are confident that they can throw him in and feel com- comfortable with him being left or right tackle. Hopefully it's not left because we definitely don't want to see Brown go down to injury. But it sound it, it would make sense that the Rankin signing is confidence in Niang. I hope that that's the case, Rod. I'm going to jump ahead here to a question: If who is the biggest impact from free agents? What three impact free agents did the Chiefs sign this year? The reader here is excluding Jerron Reed, and but saying who are the other three free agents that are going to make the biggest impact? So this is a tough question, right, because there wasn't that many free agents. I went ahead and lumped in Orlando Brown. I know he was a trade. Um, he, didn't, he didn't tell me I couldn't say trades. He just said free agency. So I went free agency, period, as a whole. And I'm going to make this real simple for you. One, two, three, Orlando Brown, Joe Tooney, Austin Blythe. I know we just got done talking about Blythe disappearing. I do think he is going to be a good depth piece. But my main point with the one, two, three, just those three offensive linemen, is that's what's the most impactful out of all these free agent signings. The offensive line got so much better with these guys. The rest of the free agent signings are all just supplemental guys that could fill a niche role, you know, something complimentary, but nothing where they're a true uh, impact starter. Obviously, we're excluding Jaron Reed from that. 
So one, two, three for me, Brown, Tooney, Blythe, offensive line got a lot better. Yeah, I think Tooney's the right answer there. And just so we don't exclude or, or, or skip over giving credit, this is from Raw Dog Brown, Doug on Twitter. Thank you for the questions. He asked multiple questions this week, and I'm, I'm glad that we were able to feature a couple of them. The free agent impacts, really think Joe Tooney's being underrated here, just like Jaron Reed. You know, we've talked a lot about the Orlando Brown acquisition and about how much better this offensive line is going to be. But we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about the, you know, one of the best, if not the best, offensive guard in the NFL signing with the Chiefs day one of free agency. That was a big move, and he's expected to be an impact player at left guard. He's extremely durable. He's extremely smart and technically sound. You're, you may not see or hear his name a ton, but I expect the Chiefs to have a lot of success around that left guard position, running the ball, passing the ball, throwing lanes, and it's going to be because of Tooney. Yeah, I, I think it's nice to have a, a solid two really go, good guys right next to each other on one side of the line. You kind of know you can rely on that side when you need to run, get some get some tough yards. But I do think the entire line in general should, should be able to give us more tough yards this year. So it, it'll be interesting. I do think Tooney is underrated a little bit. No one's talking about him. But he's a quiet guy. He doesn't really give us much to talk about. So that may be why. But that's a good thing. If you don't hear his name a lot, that's a good thing if he's an offensive lineman. That's right. Now, there, a long shot for this answer could be Jarek McKinnon. We talked about him last week as a running back who could be an impact player just on a couple of snaps per game because of his home run hitting ability. But uh, Joe Tooney is, is probably the, the top of the list for me with McKinnon uh, farther down. Yeah. Do we want to do this over under on Cornell Powell before we get out of here? I think this is an interesting question. Uh, I don't see who asked this question, unfortunately, um, off the top of my off the top of this rundown. I apologize to whoever did. Um, but I he is saying the rook shows up or shores up a role in this offense, excuse me, and delivers 600 yards and five touchdowns. He's a polished route runner. We've been needing that. I need this guy's Twitter account because this is a hot take. We should have had it at the beginning of the, the show. Well, it is. I have the Twitter account. It's Leonardo DeVici uh, at Patrick Mahomes. That's a great name. That's an awesome name. That's brilliant. How, how could you skip that, Ron? Uh, <laughs> Cornell Powell, 605 would be just a monster season from a wide receiver three through six, wherever he falls on that roster. That's good. That would be, that would be very surprising if that, if he exceeded that number, I'm going way under that probably 350 yards and three touchdowns, you know, from Powell and with an upward trajectory in his career. That's not a knock on Powell's ability. It's just, there's not that much opportunity for a guy like that. Who's behind Hill, Kelsey, Hardman, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, you know, Demarcus Robinson, he's he's way down that list from day one when it comes to receiving targets, right? Yeah, and the 17-game season helps him out a little bit, but obviously not to boost him up that many. Uh, I had the over-under at 200, trying to be fair. I, I like what I'm seeing from him, but 200 would be a lot. We've talked about Pringle averaging 160 over his – you know, a uh, career. If he got more, if he did more this season than what Pringle's done in his career, I think that's a huge win. And so that's not a, you know, getting to 200 yards is not a knock on him. Like you were saying, um, I, I think he'll, I think he'll have some sort of role, but not too much of one, not too much. Yeah. of one. 
It was good to hear Tyreek Hill talk about how smooth he was in and out of his routes. And I think that's something that if you look at college wide receivers that make an impact in the pros, those that can get open and run routes do well. Those that are just fast or just big don't, right? So I think what you want to hear from Powell is that he's advancing his route running and that he is um, he is picking up the offense and getting open. Yes, sir. All right. Well, I think that'll do it for the Airhead Pride Out of Structure podcast. I got to imagine that was a great session of Twitter questions answered. I hope you guys got your questions answered on this edition of the Out of Structure podcast. Make sure you're listening to all the other podcasts we got. We got the Editor Show with Pete and John on Tuesdays, the Airhead Drive with Pete uh, every other day. We got the show and BK on their Friday night show and then the Great British Show on Saturdays. So make sure you're checking them all out. We'll keep getting your Twitter questions. We're getting good ones. We still have some more that we could answer this week, and we'll answer them next time. So I appreciate you guys listening.